If you weren't here last week, just at the punchline of my talk, um, the real punchline, um, Norman, who's sitting right here in front of me, are you feeling okay today, Norman? Good to have you back together. Yeah, good to have you back here. Because Norman was sitting there and uh, he kind of went a different shade of grey and uh, it was sort of a bit pale and white and uh, and uh, I just loved not your experience, Norman, but the way in which everyone responded to Norman so well. I think we had a suite of medical staff here. Um, we had scientists, we had every Every kind of form of we had uh, enough nurses here in the room to look after him very well and uh, whilst he was recovering we were all out having sausages outside and believe it or not the one thing that he said um, when he came to so can I quote you I haven't asked you, I'm going to quote you anyway um, he, he actually said did Troy get to finish his talk <laughs> how nice is that hey so I'm going to try and finish it today and and Nick where are you A paramedic Nick Give us a wave. Nick, there. Okay, so Nick, if anything happens this morning to anyone else, Nick is the paramedic in the room, in the house. He's going to look after things as well, and he'll triage the rest. Um, one, one activity that's coming up in two weeks, we want to launch it today, is, I said pray Maroondah, it's actually pray the city, um, because we want to lift the spiritual climate and temperature around um, this landscape. Because as Pete and Cindy and our Scottish friend was saying this morning, that there's a more, more to this world than just being a flat material world. There's a sense of more. And what we'd like to do through this activity in two weeks' time is have you sign up in the foyer and for one hour, one hour um, in two weeks' time, what we're going to have you do is just uh, go and find a space here in Maroondah spread out, uh, maybe down at the uh, Ringwood Jubilee Park or maybe uh, in the Sage Hotel or, or maybe in a cafe and spend an hour just simply praying and we'll give you some direction about what to pray, but that it might lift the spiritual temperature of this city such that people will have a hunger and awareness of God in his presence in this flat world. And even though it's not a very tangible thing, you won't see immediate results. What we'd like to do over a period of time is, if you like, lift the spiritual temperature. We believe that's the place to start. So on the way out this morning, if you could start to sign up for that one hour in two weeks' time, give you some more information. And if you're a parent here, you could take a, a child with you. If you're some teenagers, you could go and take a few buddies. Um, you could find one place and say, let's spend an hour and we're going to pray that the presence of God might actually become lifted in this great city. Tracking with me? Yep. Great. If you have a Bible with you, if you'd like to turn with me in an iOS device, I'm just going to read something and then launch into today's sacred space, part two. Um, and here we go. So Matthew chapter 8, I want to read a section from the book of Matthew in the Bible. And if you're here this morning and you're just checking out God, so glad you're here. And if you've been far away or you're really close to uh, I my prayer is that Jesus would speak to you today. And here's some words from Matthew chapter 8, 1 to 3. And it says this. When he, referring to Jesus, came down from the mountainside, large crowds followed him. A man with leprosy came and knelt before him and said, Lord, that is Jesus, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said, be clean. Immediately he was cured of his leprosy. Then Jesus said to him, See that you don't tell anyone, but go, no, go now and show yourself to the priest and offer the gift Moses commanded as a testimony to them. Over this past number of weeks, as the topic has been indicated, we've been talking about sacred space. 
this idea of where humans and God meet. And we've been discovering and talking about the flat world that we live in. This idea that all we have is here and now and that we are just simply material beings. And I've been telling a different story, another narrative. And that narrative has actually been talking about that there's a presence of something more. There's a God who dwells within this world and he's part of it. And he wants to be present to it. I was listening to a news broadcast uh, two weeks ago. Some psychologists had been undertaking some studies and they said, uh, they surveyed a group of 18 to 25 year olds and they said, are there times in your life in which you feel alone? And are there times in your life when you feel alone and don't have anyone to turn to, to talk about that? Well, they found that one in two of the 18 to 25 year olds they surveyed indicated that was true for them. The amazing thing about this is that what you had was this group, this young group that we would think is all connected and all part of this sort of exciting time of life, feeling a sense of disconnectedness. It's as though they were yearning for something more. They were yearning for something greater. Not only connection with one another, but a sense within the human heart there's a search and a cry for is there something else? Is there something more? I believe we don't just live in a flat world. We live in a world in which God wants to dwell. And so we've been telling the story over the past number of weeks in the book of Genesis, the book of beginnings. And the way that the narration goes is that there's a God and he wants to dwell amongst people. And when he is present to those people, it's as though they flourish in a completely different way. If you like, he gives them a task, he partners with them, or he invites them to partner with him in continuing to establish his justice and his mercy and his order and his loving kindness. He wants it to, ex- it to continue. James, could I just have that down a fraction in volume? That'd be great. Thank you. And so there's this sense in which there's this, this overwhelming presence of God seeking to dwell amongst people. And the two things that we learn from the narratives that we've been looking at is firstly, is that there is a God who desires to dwell amongst human beings like you and I. And secondly, that human beings flourish best with God, with God, in God, by God, in God. Human beings, when they draw close to the presence of God and he is present to them, we flourish best. Many years ago, I was uh, taking a, a phys ed class in uh, a country school where I was teaching. And I'd been teaching them the, the skills around hockey for 10 weeks. And hockey is one of those games that if you don't control the people with the sticks, the balls get lifted and it turns into absolute anarchy and chaos. So for 10 weeks, I'd been drilling them in all the right kinds of ways in which they were to use their sticks and to drill themselves with the hockey ball and play as a team. Well, all throughout that 10 weeks, they'd been saying to us, can we please, can we please, can we please play a game? I said, all right. At the end of 10 weeks, I said, I've taught you everything I could possibly teach you. Now you can play a game. And so I lined them up and I stepped back and I blew my whistle and I let them go. And there was total anarchy for the next five minutes. There were hockey sticks being lifted. There were balls flinging from left to right. There were kids going down, clinching their shins. And there was heads that were nearly taken off. And and after about, you know, two minutes, I blew the whistle again. I said, enough, stop. (laughs) Right, everyone sit down. This is the way we're going to run it. 
And, and, and what I want to do is actually have a, have a sense here in which I brought order to the chaos. Now, then I blew the whistle again. And after me giving lots of direction and lots of encouragement and, and lots of, if you like, specific details, the game was entirely played in another level and differently. If you step back and you ask that group of students, which game did you enjoy the most? The one which, which you got to play the rules yourself or the one in which you were actually guided by someone else who was directing you? They would say, the one in which I was directed. Why? Because there was order to the chaos. That's the same way it is with God. You might be here this morning and thinking, I don't trust God. In fact, there's a little voice inside you saying, I want to do what I want, when I want, how I want. And his response to you is, you know what? If you trust me and if you allow me to be present to you and if you obey my voice, you will flourish. Because I made human beings in my image and I know how they best operate. And so with that, the story we've told is that those first human beings, they said, God, we want to work out right and wrong ourselves. And so they did. And if you like, human beings began to descend into a sense of darkness. And he expelled them from the garden and he said, you can't come and eat of the tree of life because if you do, I will not be able to fix you. If you like, when Adam and Eve, those first early hominids, decided to determine right and wrong, good and evil in themselves, human beings, what we discovered is they do it really badly. And so he expels them from his presence. And if you like, the rest of the biblical story is trying to say, how on earth can God and his presence dwell amongst his people? If you like, how can he get them back into that garden sacred space? So he makes a promise to a man by the name of Abraham. Through you, I'm going to bless the nations. Through you, I'm going to restore the world. And so from that promise... He reveals himself to a man by the name of Moses. Moses is wandering in the, the, the wilderness, having escaped from the powers of Egypt. And in that wilderness space, there's a tree that's, that's been burning, but it doesn't burn up. And so Moses approaches it, and God speaks to him from this burning bush. And he says, come no farther. And that's not for the sake of God. It's actually for the sake of Moses. Why? Because as he gets closer to the presence of God, who you and I are visibly manifests with even more clarity. You see, there's two issues, if you like, that seem to be part of what God needs to deal with in human beings. is both the idea of our mortality and our fallen morality. Oh, don't get me wrong, just because human beings are, if you like, have an inclination to do what they want to do, this sinful, if you like, side, it doesn't mean that God doesn't love you. You see, it's so easy to get confused between our inherent sinfulness and worthlessness. That's not it at all. In fact, there's a God that reveals himself that says you are of incredible worth, but in need of great repair. And so what we discover and Moses discovered early on is that the closer you draw to God's presence, the blemishes, if you like, show. And last week we discovered that there was two kinds of blemishes that become more than apparent. Mortality and failed morality. The idea that, that the human body is subject to decay and disease and ultimately death. And God is not. 
Secondly, that God in him is he's utterly good. He's utterly powerful. He's utterly upright. And human beings, even though they're made in God's image, fall short of that. If you like, if you like we have a failed morality. And so I told a story about those ancient devices called an overhead projector. Remember those? Remember that if there was a if the piece of fluff on this overhead, well, let me back up for a moment. There was this device, it was a box that looked like this, and then there was a, a little spout that came up, and when you turn the light on down here, it shone through some perspex, and you put some words down on top of it, written on a clear sheet, and it would shine up onto the wall, of which the PowerPoints these days have superseded those. And, but the, the thing that you discovered about the overhead transparency is that when you placed a bit of fluff on that overhead and turned it on, it simply made the fluff or the impurity more visible. How can human beings dwell with an immortal God? How can the mortals dwell? When they get closer, the blemishes show. And so God created this space, this sacred space. It was a a tent that later became the building that would be developed in Jerusalem. And the closer you got to that sacred space, the middle place, the Holy of Holies, which was elaborately decorated like another little garden of Eden, the more the blemishes showed. And so how would God provide for this? How is it that human beings could dwell with him? And this is the point last week where we kind of picked up from. (laughs) (laughs) Sacrifice. And even though this idea kind of seems foreign and unusual and archaic and it might make us feel uncomfortable, the way God actually dealt with blemishes in human beings was through sacrifice. This idea that there would be an animal that was taken that would be killed. And according to what the issue was, whether it had to do with some mortality issue of uncleanness to do with sickness or disease or death, or if there was something to do with a moral failure, you could take whatever the animal it was and prescribed and that animal would be killed. The carcass and the blood would be taken up and delivered to the priest. And then the priest would do something really strange with this blood. He would either rub it on the horns of the altar, those little edges, or he would pour it before the altar, or he'd even at times rub it on your ear or your thumb or your foot according to what it was that you were coming before the priest to secure. But the one thing that would overwhelmingly be accomplished would be this idea of atoning or to cover. The word means to cover, and it doesn't mean to sweep under the carpet. It doesn't mean to put a blanket over it and hide it. What it means is that through this process, that if you like, the blemishes would be dealt with. All the blemishes would be washed away. How does this work? Well, it seems the only information that we have is that it says, for the life of the creature is in the blood. And all life belongs to God. It seems as though this, and it might seem really strange and foreign to us, that this blood had a certain power, if you like. It was like a modern day detergent. That if you like the blood... Depending on where it was smeared, would be like 
a detergent that would wash away blemishes. And so all the various rituals that were undertaken will enable human beings like you and me to become clean. Because there was power in the blood. And there's life in the blood and all life belongs to God. And so this animal that was sacrificed, if you like, would be the provision for weak human beings, sometimes willful human beings, so that we could dwell and be present to God and that he could remain present to us. If you like, we would be washed and purified so the holy, utterly different God might remain present among his people so that he could animate them with his power so that they might flourish with him, by him, and through him. You see, we often talk about Jesus as forgiving. We often omit his cleansing. You see, forgiveness deals with guilt. Cleansing, it deals with grime. And this is where I want to be really sensitive this morning. I'm mindful that many years ago, my wife, when we were living over in the States, she was working for a group that dealt with women who were experiencing trauma, either through decisions they had made or decisions that had been made for them. And She said, I remember one lady that I was dealing with and helping her overcome sometimes the sense of guilt that she might feel or the sense of shame she might feel. And she described what she would do in order to try and deal with the grime in her life. She said she would get a toothbrush every day. She would get a toothbrush. And in her house, she would get down on her hands and knees. And she would take that toothbrush and she would scrub every little speck of dirt from her floors and from the skirting boards so that she could make her house clean. But it wasn't the house that she wanted to be made clean. She was just demonstrating on the outside what she so dearly wanted on the inside. You know, sometimes there are things that we do that make us feel unclean we feel a sense of guilt but even more so we feel a sense of shame we're like Adam and Eve in the garden all over again we want to cover ourselves up but sometimes there is no amount of makeup or covering up the blemishes that can satisfy I mean, put as much makeup on as you want, put as much coverings on as you want, but it's still present and there. Sometimes, though, there are things that we haven't done 
but that have been done to us. That make us feel grimy, blemished, unclean. And we're wondering, I know Jesus might be able to forgive me, but can he deal with my wholeness? Can he wash me? That's why I read the passage I did this morning. You see, there's this encounter where Jesus says he comes down from the hillside. Large crowds followed him. Suddenly, someone with a virulent skin disease approached him and knelt down in front of him. Master, he said, if you want, you can make me clean. This is a form of ritual impurity. And this man is doing the right thing. Actually, he's doing the wrong thing. He should stand at 20 paces away and he should call out unclean. Because they all know in their culture that that form of uncleanliness is like a contamination. And if you touch someone or get close to them, you might become unclean as well. And so Jesus allows this man to draw close to him. He's taking a risk. Both of them are. And he kneels before Jesus and with this little heart of faith, he must have heard something about who Jesus is and the power that he has and the radical transformation that he's experienced in people's lives, a la the Scottish man we've talked about or what Cindy's been talking about or the last few weeks people have been describing in their stories. And so he asks Jesus, will you make me clean because I believe you can. There's no scrubbing Of the skirting boards. There's no toothbrush. And Jesus reaches out. And it says he touches the man. And he says simply these profound words. I do. I do want to. And instead of Jesus becoming contaminated, something altogether entirely different happens. If you like, his power transforms and, if you like, moves from him to the man and the man is made whole. He is washed clean. You see, there's power in the blood. There's power in the person of Jesus I wonder if you're here this morning and it's not forgiveness that's your first port of call when you think about Jesus, but what you've been longing for and wondering is, can he deal with my sense of grime? And most profoundly, the answer is yes. He can reach into your heart and in your life and wash you clean because that is what he does. Another passage in the New Testament, the book of Hebrews, simply says this, If the blood of bulls and goats you see in the sprinkled ashes of a heifer make people holy, that is the sense of purifying their bodies, when they have been unclean, how much more will the blood of the Messiah, who offered himself to God through the eternal spirit as a spotless sacrifice, cleanse our conscience from dead works and serve the living God? You see, there is power in the blood of Jesus. And he can cleanse you and make you clean. That's what he does. John, a writer, 
He knew Jesus, eyewitness, face to face, writes this. And he writes it to Jesus' followers. If we confess our sins, yes, even the Jesus' followers who are sometimes weak and willful. If you confess your sins, he is faithful and just, will forgive us, yes, guilt. But he will cleanse us, grime, from the blemishes of unrighteousness. I wonder if you're here this morning and you've only thought about Jesus as the one who's the forgiving machine. He's the cleansing machine. And he will wash you white as snow because that's what he does. There's power in the blood. It's like an ancient detergent that was shed for you and I. And it penetrates deeply into the recesses and moves deep down into our hearts and minds. And he washes clean. This is good news. The band's going to come in a moment. And what we want to do is create a sacred space. A space where you might participate in an ancient ritual that we call communion. But this one's a little different because its focus isn't simply upon a forgiving, which is profound, but it's also a washing and a cleansing. You see, there's a bucket at each of the stations. And what I would invite you to do, if you would like to participate with us, is come to the table and take some bread and take a cup. Jesus said, this is my body which is given for you. Then he turned and he took the cup and he said, this is the cup of the covenant. My blood poured out for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And then I would invite you to to go and sit back at your chair and eat and drink. But maybe before you do, you might want to stop at the bucket of water, of cleansing water. And you might want to pause for a moment and dip your hands deep into it. And that you might want to wash in a symbolic way his blood which has been given for you you might want to dry your hands in an act of thanksgiving take the bread take the cup if you're here this morning and you're wondering hey I'm new I don't even sure if I believe in Jesus and, but you're hearing these words and you're thinking if Jesus is like that I'd like to draw close then I would just invite you the same This might be your first step. 
There's a card, a brown card that you can take with you. Take that. Take the elements. Sit down and read through this and participate with us. There's power in the blood. He washes and he cleanses. There's going to be a person that's standing next to each of the table from the prayer team. And if you'd like to receive prayer this morning, then you might just stop and pause. They pray. You can wash and participate. God's speaking to you this morning. Then I'd like to pray for you now. And then, as you will, go and make this space your space. Father, in this room right now, you've spoken to us about your great power, the sacrifice of your son, the power of his blood to wash clean so that your presence may reside in human beings. I ask for each person here who might feel the grime of life, that you might wash them, that they might know that as they reach out to you and say, wash me clean, that your blood has done the work and it washes clean. It washes clean. It washes clean. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. If you'd like to participate with us this morning, then you are welcome to hop up out of your chair, go to the tables and eat and drink.